Well, good morning, church. Hope you all had an incredible Thanksgiving. Uh, I know there is a prayer request I want to throw out here before we get rolling, and, and uh, Roger Moden uh, is in the hospital right now. Linda called me this morning, and she said he had a mild heart attack yesterday. And as I shared at the first service, I said, I'm not sure the difference between a mild and a major heart attack, except one can take your life. Um, to me, both are serious. And so he is doing well. Uh, when I was talking to her on the phone, he's like, oh, he's just sitting here ordering breakfast. He's all good. Um, but yet I can still imagine the anxious feelings they have. So please pray for Roger. He's going to have a heart cath put in tomorrow. He's at the Toledo Hospital. And uh, be praying for them that uh, even though he seems to be taking it all casual and it's all good, like I said, there's still anxious moments in times like this. Especially after you spent the, the time with Thanksgiving and family and friends, and then this seems like a, you know, not a way to end the holiday part of their life uh, weekend. So uh, be praying for Roger and Linda. Um, today, you know, we are going to continue a series we started. It is a Thanksgiving holiday, and I hope you all did spend a great time giving God thanks, as we should every day, right? But especially giving God thanks for His grace, giving us what we do not deserve, and for His mercy, not giving us what we do deserve. And so we have a lot to be thankful for, uh, for what God gives us, and then you can tack on you know, your food, clothing, shelter, and all those other wonderful things that we've been blessed with. Um, it was good for me to go home uh, to Indiana for a couple of days, spend time with my family. I think I shared with you last week that I knew it was coming, right? The expectations of when you go to your family, Brother's going to act this way. We're going to tell the same dumb jokes. We're going to sit in certain seats. Mom's going to be this way. You know, right? Well, it all came to fruition. That's what happened. Everybody did what's expected because we're family. I know our characteristics. I know our traits. I know our behaviors. That's just the way we are. And I said last week, it's the same way with my church family, with my Christian brothers and sisters. We all have behaviors. We have uh, characteristics and different things about us that we sort of know are going to happen. And then there's those that we know should happen, but don't always quite happen, right? So I asked the question, what does it look like to be part of the church family? What does it look to be part of the church family? What does that look like? What characteristics should we be displaying? So we began a series called Our Family Will. Now in this series, last week we focused on our family will give thanks and our family will be forgiving. Now, Last week, some of you were like, you didn't spend a lot of time on forgiveness. Um, I wasn't planning on that. That was sort of purposeful. So if you're thinking, well, you, got, you ran out of time. No. I, I shared as much as I wanted to share last week on forgiveness. Because here's what we're going to find out as we go through this series. Forgiveness is going to be one of those underlying characteristics, traits of every church family. Because we're probably not going to be thankful at times. And we're going to have to learn to forgive one another. And there's other times we're going to do things that, in a way that we may sin against one another. We may tell lies to each other. We may dishonor each other. We may be impatient with each other. Guess what we need to apply then in the family? Forgiveness. Right? So that forgiveness that I didn't spend a lot of time on, you will hear on occasion throughout the next few weeks as part of that underlying part of the message. Okay? This week... What is our family about? Our family will tell the truth, honor each other, be patient with each other. We're going to talk about those things today. And, uh, and I was thinking about this, you know, how do we do this? 
How do we focus on truth? How do we focus on honoring each other? How do we focus on being patient with each other? So that's what I'd like you to do. Grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Luke. And if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Somebody will bring one to you. <clears throat> Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 27. Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 27. Sully asked me earlier, he said, what, what translation do you read from? Um, in case you, you're finding it on your phone. I read from the New Living Translation. I grew up on the King James NIV. Um, that's what I grew up on. Got to college, and I, I started reading from the New Living Translation when I read in front of um, a group of people, just because it's an easier translation to hear. Uh, but I study from multiple translations. So in case you're wondering what I read from, it's the New Living Translation. Uh, Landon usually reads from uh, the ESV. Um, and so, again, just in case you're wondering. Luke chapter 6, let's begin right there. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone asks what belongs to you, don't demand it back. Look at verse 21. You might want to underline this, okay? Do to others as you would have them do to you. Do to others as you would have others have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you'll be children of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. As I'm reading through that scripture, there's that part that they stuck out really big as to treating others the way I want to be treated. Because I'm sitting there thinking, okay, as a family, how will I tell the truth to each other, honor each other, be patient with others, right? Well, let me think about this. How would I want to be treated? Do unto others as I want them to do to me, right? So think about this. Do you like being lied to? Does anybody here like being lied to? You know, maybe you're on the phone with the um, cable company, right? And uh, they say your bill's going to be $70. And like, $70, okay, but when the bill comes, it's $170. You're like, oh, that's awesome. I love it when people lie to me and they charge me more than what they said they're going to charge. I mean, that was, I was hoping it was going to be that way. <laughs> Heaven forbid they go last. You know? No, you don't like being lied to, do you? I don't like being lied to. I don't like being given false information. If somebody writes a newspaper, I want to read what's true. I don't want to read, well, that wasn't even true. Well, then why did I read it? Right? Do to others as you have them do to you. Do you like it when people are impatient with you? Maybe you're, you're sitting there saying, I've got a job I'm supposed to be doing. I'm trying to get it done, but your boss or somebody's sort of breathing down your neck like, come on, come on, come on, hurry up, come on, come on, come on, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. And you're like, be patient with me, be patient with me, please. Do you want people to be patient with you? We need to be patient with others, right? How about 
Do you like it when people disrespect you? When they treat you really bad? Do you like it when the people treat you with no value? Probably not. In the same way, think about this. If you don't like it, why would you do that to others? If you don't want to be treated that way, why would you treat others that way? That's what Jesus is saying. Do unto others as you would want them to do to you. Well, I want, I want to be told the truth. I want people to be patient with me. I want people to honor me and respect me, right? So I probably should do the same to them. That's probably where I would first start when I'm thinking about this. Like, okay, well, this is the way our family should be. But then, that's a good place to start, right? But then I think, well, let's go back to a scripture we did last week. Ephesians chapter 5. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to the book of Ephesians because we're going to look at a few passages there. If you're in Luke, just keep going. John, Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, and then you'll be there at Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. <clears throat> Beginning verse 1, again, we read this last week. It says what? Imitate God. I mean, it just starts right off the bat. Imitate God. Whew, that's a tough one, right? Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. As he is your heavenly father and you are his son, his daughter, guess what? Imitate your heavenly father. How do I do that? Look at verse 2. Live a life... Filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us. He offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. I mean, he goes right right to the, just like the big, the big thing, right? He's like, okay, so how do I imitate God? Will be like Christ. Oh, like Christ? Like he gave up his life. He sacrificed his life. That's love. Wow, why don't you start with somewhere easy like, like he fed people stuff, okay? I can feed people stuff. But he jumped right to that one, right? But we know this as we look through this, Scripture, when it says imitate God, as I said last week, you don't find those words anywhere else. You hear references to it, but nowhere else in the New Testament do you hear imitate God. And imitating God doesn't mean, you know, okay, so imitating God means I'm all-powerful, I'm all-knowing, I can be everywhere at once. No, those are the attributes of God that nobody can do. But there are things about God that he does allow us to imitate, and we see those in Jesus Christ. Paul makes it clear, listen, you want to imitate God, look at Jesus. He will show you how to do this. And if you, besides what you see in Jesus, God will also make it clear through other scriptures as well. For instance, does, what does God think about lying? Well, we can look through the scripture and find multiple scriptures about lying. We're going to look up a few here. Zechariah and in Proverbs are some scripture. I'm going to read these to you. You can stay in Ephesians. But from the book of Zechariah, it says this. For this is what the Lord of heaven's armies says, okay? I was determined to punish you when your ancestors angered me. And I did not change my mind, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But now I'm determined to bless Jerusalem and the people of Judah. So don't be afraid, but this is what you must do. Tell the truth to each other. It's like God says, I am ready to bring the hand of discipline down on you, child. Okay? God says, I'm ready to discipline my nation because you have been disrupted. You're not doing what I've asked you to do, so I'm going to discipline you. The Lord of heaven's armies are coming down, but you know what? I decided to show grace and mercy to you. I'm, I'm going to hold back. But this is what you must do. So about that time, you know, as a child, when you were going to be disciplined, it's like your parents say, oh, get the belt. But you know what? 
I'm going to refrain from the belt, but this is what you better do. You're probably listening because you're like, okay, I'm not going to get the belt, so I'll do whatever you say. I'll do whatever you say, okay? And this is what God says. Verse 16. Tell the truth to each other. Render the verdicts in your courts that are just, that lead to peace. Don't scheme against each other. Stop your love of telling lies that you swear are the truth. I hate all these things, says the Lord. Here's another message that came to me from the Lord of Heaven's armies. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. The traditional fast, times of mourning, that you have been in early summer, midsummer, autumn, and winter, they're now ended. They will now become festivals of joy and celebration. I want you to love truth and peace. How does God feel about lying? He says, stop it. Stop it. I want you to love truth. God is clear in commanding us to tell the truth, to love truth, and to be at peace. Proverbs. Look at the scriptures from Proverbs. Uh, grades 3 and 4. We've got 3rd and 4th graders in here. If you were here Wednesday night about a month ago, I remember Pastor Dave and Greg were in there. And I remember this lesson. I just sat in and listened in. Proverbs six seventeen. There are six things the Lord hates. No, seven things he detests. Which usually when you hear that means it's, a, it's an incomplete list. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that are racing to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, a person who sows discord in a family. Pretty clear there, isn't it? False witness who pours out lies, a lying tongue, God hates it. Proverbs twelve twenty two: the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in those who tell the truth. I think we're pretty clear where God stands on lying, right? In truth. And Paul says what? Imitate God. If God doesn't like it, we shouldn't like it either. Lying seems to be a way of living for many people, right? I mean, we, we lie at the drop of a hat. There's a book called The Day America Told the Truth. You've probably heard about this book before. In this book, it says 91% of those surveyed lie routinely about things that are trivial. But 36% lie about important things. 86% lie regularly to their parents. 75% to their friends. 73% to their siblings. And 69% to their spouses. I mean, 69% was the lowest one. How much lying is going on, right? The day America told the truth. Then it makes you wonder, (laughs) were people telling the truth when they took the survey, right? You wonder. Parents, um... I'll stand before you and make a confession, just as I believe all you can make a confession right now. We've probably lied to our kids a couple times in our life, haven't we? You think maybe those times we maybe uh, extended a story, white lie, fib? Okay, those are just lies, right? Any parents in here ever said, hey, if you eat eat enough vegetables, eventually it's going to taste like candy? I don't know if any parents ever told their kids that. I've heard it before. Anybody ever tell your child, oh, you know what? They don't sell replacement batteries for that toy. Oh, sorry. That's an obnoxious loud toy, right? Or maybe, maybe you're like, that, that toy? What, you can't find it? Oh, I don't know what happened to it. It's such a fun, loud toy of yours. I don't know what happened to it. Any parent ever do that one before? Any parents ever, when you're driving down the road, you had to tell your kids, Oh, those animals that are laying on the road? Oh, they're just taking a nap because the road is a lot warmer, right? Has anybody done that before? 
I know, parents, you've, um, you've probably extended the truth a little bit, right? We've probably lied to our children. Children, we're trying to protect you, right? right? Sometimes we tell them, we, we just, you know, maybe it's not just to make kids do things. But maybe we're trying to avoid trouble, right? And it's hard not only to tell the truth, but it's also hard to know the truth today, isn't it? What is true? What is fake? We've heard that thrown around so much in this past year. We're unsure of if we can trust people and what they're saying or not. And, you know, it happens so innocently at times, and it's, it's frustrating. We have people come to the church two, three times a day asking for help. We've got a food pantry here, and we help people. But, you know, sometimes when people tell you a story, it's like, are they telling me the truth? I mean, you want to help people. But the story they tell, it's like, now is that true? And you just wonder. You walk into a, a, a sales car place. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you just want truth wherever you go. Lupe, just making sure you're... I'm just making sure you're zoning in, Greg. You too. No, I'm just kidding. No, we, we want truth wherever we go. We want truth when we pick up a book. We want, we want to know when we pick up a newspaper. When we open up the internet, we want to find truth. It isn't just us... Speaking the truth, we want to know the truth as well. You know, we know from reading God's word, God wants truth. God, God knows that we can use our tongues in the most destructive ways. You take a look on the screen, you see a picture of, a, of an incredible boat. It's called the Queen Mary. Queen Mary um, is now docked out at Long Beach, California. And it was sort of funny, my, my uh, great aunt, Betty, just turned 90 this past year, and we had a, a party for her a few weeks ago over at Wise Commons. And she actually had the picture of, a, of uh, Queen Mary on one of her displays. She was a missionary in Africa and other places. And she actually was, I was like, saw that picture, I was like, Betty, what, you know, what's, what's up with the Queen Mary here? And she's like, well, I actually was on the Queen Mary on some of my trips when I did go to Africa. I was able to board, but I wasn't able to you know, there are certain common levels of where you could be on those ships. Well, it just so happened that the actual queen was on board um, when she was, and she didn't meet her, but she said she got close enough to her. And I don't ask me this, how she does, but she, like, she smelled her hair or something. She, I don't know if royalty smells different than anything else. Um, I'm not even sure why I shared that with you. Betty will probably not be happy with me. But I was very intrigued that she was aboard this ship. And she had these voyages to go to Africa to share God's word with people. And my mom and dad, after I graduated from high school, said, this is going to be your graduation gift. We're going to fly out to California, spend time with your aunts and uncles. And this is one of the things we did. We took a tour of the Queen Mary. It's, it's docked permanently, as I said. But I want you to look and see how big this is. This thing made over 1,000 transatlantic crossings, okay? is 181 feet tall. The length of it is 1,019 feet. It weighs over 81 tons. Okay, 81, I'm sorry, 81,000 tons. The anchor alone is a 45-ton anchor. Now, this massive ship, when you look at it, the back of the ship, where the rudder is, there's a small piece on that rudder. It's called the trim tab. The trim tab is what actually directs the ship through whatever massive storm or water that it's, it's, it's going through. It's that little trim tab that moves that directs the ship. Now, as I was thinking about this and looking through it, it reminds you of a certain scripture passage in the book of James. Let me read this to you. 
We can make a large horse go wherever we want to by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder can make a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great force on fire. Among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It's a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father. Sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Now, isn't it amazing when you think about this? We will lie to exaggerate our statistics or to make work sound pretty awesome. And we want to look good or we want to look better than someone else. So we will use this little thing in our mouth that weighs three ounces out of a, maybe a 190-pound a body. I can't control it. And it's frustrating, right? This little thing here can shipwreck a relationship. It can be encouraging or it can be discouraging. It can be positive or it can be negative. It can disrupt a team and create division or it can unify it. It can build and do wonderful things or it can bring damage. That little thing there. We need to figure out how to control it, right? How do we do this? What do we do? If we're going to be a family, our family will tell the truth. How do we control this? Ephesians, you're still there, right? Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Paul shares something in Ephesians chapter 4, and he says something similar in Colossians chapter 3. I'll put both scriptures up on the screen, but we're only going to look at Ephesians chapter 4. And he says this, we're going to need to live out, figure out how to do this by having our new life in Christ. Here's the thing. I can't control my tongue without Christ. I can't. I can try. I can make a lot of great efforts. I can be raised a certain way to say things, not say things. But still, I need the help of the Holy Spirit to help me. Verse 21, Ephesians chapter 4. Since you've heard about Jesus, you've learned the truth that comes from him. Throw off your old sinful nature and former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Look at verse 24. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. When you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, when you give yourself to the Lord, you surrender yourself to the Lord, and you become a Christian, you are born again, all those terms are sounding familiar, right? Okay. God's Holy Spirit comes and resides in you. You are new in Christ because He is living in you. And as you, the Holy Spirit is living in you, it says, you are like God in sense. You are righteous and holy. Righteous means you are right with God. Holy means you're set apart from this world. So this new life in Christ looks different. 
put on that new nature. He makes it clear for us that we are to stop telling lies because it destroys relationships, it destroys teamwork, it creates conflict. But he goes on to say in second, um, I'm sorry, in Colossians chapter 3, 9 and 10, he says this, Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature. Sound like Ephesians, right? You stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Verse 10, put on your new nature, be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Paul says the same thing to the church of Colossus. Uh, he's saying to this, listen, you've got to put off the old, put on the new. And it's clear that we shouldn't lie to each other. He mentioned that in both passages. But as we put, put on this new nature, we need to strive to know God more. And when you know God more, when you start discovering what he is like, you know, he doesn't like liars. He doesn't like people who are, are telling uh, false truths. He wants truth. He is a God of truth. We become like him the more we know him. And then we go back to Ephesians 5.1, which says what? Imitate God. You can imitate him only through what? Through his spirit. You put on that new nature. You go change your clothes. That's what Paul says. You're going to put off the old nature, put on the new. How many times have you heard somebody say, you're going to wear that to school? You're going to wear that to work? You're going to wear that in public? Anybody ever make that comment towards somebody in this room? Kids, have you ever heard your parents say that? You're not wearing that to school today. Right? That probably happens. When we look at lying, for instance, we use that one as an example, okay? When we look at lying, lying is like, it's like a dirty, nasty, old shirt. Maybe you were out working the other day, and you're just all sweaty and messy, and you climb in bed because you're so tired. You wake up in the morning, it's like, I'm still wearing what I wore yesterday. Whew, man, this stinks. Well, I'm going to go to work. No, you're probably going to take off the old smelly shirt, get rid of it, wash it right, take care of that, and put on something clean. You probably shower first, whatever, but you put on something different, right? That's what Paul's saying. Put off the old. That just, that just stinks. It's, it's nasty. Put on the new. It's called a change of spiritual clothes, right? Our family will learn to tell the truth. Our family, here's the second one, will honor each other. Our family will honor each other. Now, some of you are thinking, what does it mean to, to honor each other? We've, here's the thing. We've seemed to have lost respect for each other, for authority, for individuals. Maybe somebody uh, drives differently than us, and we don't like the way they drive, so, you know, hashtag road rage. We get a little upset with them, right? Or maybe they cheer for a different team than we cheer for, and because they cheer for that other team, uh, I'm not going to talk to you, right? We have all these things that sort of separate us, and we lose respect for other people, or we treat them differently. But to honor each other, to have respect for each other, what does that look like? If we go to the Bible, how do you think God looks at people? Three scriptures, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 27. In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth, right? And the Trinity was involved. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were there. And in verse 26, it says, God said, Let us, the Trinity, make man in our image to be like us. They'll reign over the fish and the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals on the earth. And the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God 
created human beings in his image. Think about that. You were created in God's image. Ephesians 2.10 says what? For we are God's masterpiece. We are his work of art. If this was an art gallery with a bunch of priceless pieces of artwork on the wall, that'd be you. With God's thumbprint on you, his signature, boom, I created you. You are priceless. You're my masterpiece. I want everyone to see what I've created. Incredible, isn't it? That's you. What does Zechariah 2.8 say? It says this, After a period of glory, the Lord of heaven's armies sent me against the nations who plundered you. And he said, Anyone who harms you harms my most precious possession. Some of you right now got Lord of the Rings going through your mind, right? Precious, right? You're thinking, I know you are. If you aren't, now you are, okay? Think about this. You are created in God's image. You are his masterpiece. You are his most precious possession. Do you think you should treat God's most precious possession, his masterpiece, his image, in a destructful way, in a haphazardly way, in a harmful way. The person sitting next to you right now, go ahead and look at them. Go ahead, look at them. Now look somewhere else. Look at, just look around the room. Take a few minutes or a few seconds. Just look around the room. Take a look at all these special, precious possessions, these works of art. Just keep looking. Oh, it's getting uncomfortable, isn't it? <laughs> Love it. It's all right. Now, you just looked at God's art gallery. And he says, don't scratch it. Handle with care. Parents, kids, spouses, relatives that are worshiping together today, love each other. You've got God's creation sitting next to you. How are you treating them? Turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Romans 12, 10. From Ephesians, you're going to have to go back towards Luke, that direction. Romans 12, 10. One of my favorite verses. Um, and it became one of my favorite verses a couple of years ago. Uh, we were dropping Colin off at college. His freshman year, we went up into his dorm, second floor. On the wall was a big poster. You know, you go to college, drop your kids off. You don't know what you're going to expect. I get up there and there's this big verse, Romans 12, 10, on a big piece of paper or a big like like uh like it, you see cheerleaders when they put those big poster signs up in the school it's one of those and i'm looking at it going wow and it talked about loving one another and showing genuine affection taking delight in honoring each other but it had the word outdo one another and showing love and honor it's a different version i was like outdo and that's why i did a word study and checked it out it's a leadership word but it's a competitive word and i asked the guy the hall director the floor uh, actual uh, PA, and I asked him, I said, what's up with the verse? Because that's our theme verse. We've got a lot of athletes on this floor. They always like to compete. So we're competing this year to see who can out-love one another and out-honor each other. And I thought, oh, I like that, right? So I looked more into this verse, and look at this with me. Love each other with genuine affection. Take delight in honoring each other. And I love it, again, because Paul's using a word here. It's, it's the Greek word is philostorgos. Now, Phileo uh, is a love, like brotherly love, like Philadelphia, okay? But combined with Storgus, it means to love dearly like a brother. You're in a relationship here in the body of Christ 
who has an authenticity of a family relationship here that says, love each other like brothers and sisters, right? So we look at this. It's a love so profound that we honor each other. I'm going to honor you. I'm not going to just love you. I'm going to honor you. And what does that mean? It carries a mean of being praised very highly or considered very precious, very valuable. So there's no room for jealousy among family members. Okay? There's no room for that tension because you deeply love them and you want the best for them. It isn't like, oh, I wish what they had. It's like, no, good, I'm glad you got that. Because you love them, because you want the best for them, because they are God's creation as well. We take delight in honoring and outdoing one another and how we love each other and show honor to one another. Now again, a lot of people have ulterior motives for why they try to honor each other. Well, it's my boss, or it's my coach, or it's my teacher, so I got it, so I get a good grade, I get, you know. It's like, we do this. I want to get rewarded, and I don't want to get punished. Right? So that's maybe why we work, why we compete, why we do what we do, because I don't want to get punished, and I just want to get rewarded. I want the raise, I want to start, I, I don't want to get in trouble, I don't want to get deducted and all that, right? That's the wrong way to weigh things out. You honor the person because you love them. You honor your boss, your coach, whoever it may be, because they have value. Because they are created in God's image. Every time you look at someone, remember God created them. The person that cut you off, God created them. Okay. The people that you're, you're struggling with, God created them. I know. That's tough, isn't it? That's, it's one piece of artwork, one masterpiece. You're like, I don't want to look at that artwork today. I understand. Be careful how you treat them. Again, how do we do this? It's by maturing and growing in Christ. It is a journey. It is truly a journey. How do I keep from lying when I want to lie? How do I treat others with honor when I really don't really respect that person right now? I can't do it alone. I can't. Neither can you. Okay? Your willpower is not strong enough. It just isn't. Only by the power of God. Philippians 2.13, Paul said, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. We can't do it. God's Spirit in us can do it. We can do all things through Christ who gives us the strength. It's like this. It's me at the starting point right here. I've got to honor or respect that person, tell them the truth. I, can't, I don't know if I can do that. So I need a vehicle to help me get from here to here. That vehicle is the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit says, come on, Rex, hop on board. We're going, to, we're going to take one of those tandem bikes, okay? okay? You just get on the back. I'm going to do the pedaling. But you aren't going to get there without me. So if we think we can do these things, like I'm going to have a 10-step way of doing this, good luck on that. Probably won't work. Only by the power of the Holy Spirit. Through the help of the Holy Spirit, we are able to progress and move forward. Our family will tell the truth. Our family will honor each other. And our family will, look at that last one, be patient with each other. Oh, that's a tough one, isn't it? Galatians 5.22, Paul writes this, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace. Oh, anybody know what the next one is? Patience. 
Oh, patience. You know what that word means? It means long-suffering. Long-suffering. The Greek word is makrothumia, which may not mean anything to you, but when you break that word down, the word makros indicates it's something very long, something very distant, something that uh, is, is like of long duration. And the second word of that word, thumos, means anger. But it's the idea of swelling emotions, a strong, growing passion of something. So when you compound those two together, it's, it's, it's this long restraint of anger and long-suffering. So to give you a picture, picture a candle with a really long wick, okay? And you're going to light it, and it's going to take a while to burn. It's going to be a long burn. It, it's ready to refrain and patiently wait until somebody comes around and makes the progress, makes a change in their life, whatever it may be. It's a slow burn. That's what that word means. Who produces that in you? Holy Spirit, right? Not me. The Holy Spirit. Not you. The Holy Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. If you remember Colossians 3.12, Paul said to put on certain things. Listen, if you're going to properly dress, you also have to put on patience. He tells us this. Two scriptures. 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Paul says this. Be patient towards all men. Oh, come on. All men? He meant women too, by the way. It's a cover-all word. It's mankind. That's a tough one, isn't it? Walking in patience is a part of our Christian responsibility, though. So when you're pulling into the parking lot during this shopping season as well, and you're looking for that front spot and everybody's driving in, just do this. Go park at the back of the parking lot. Okay? Just go. There's a lot of spots there. Go park there. It gives you more time to pray as you walk in for patience. Okay? Just park back there. Now you're going to get some exercise in. You got a little quiet time with God. God? I know there's going to be a long line. I know there's going to be people in there that just might just make me upset today, but they are your creation. You created them. They have value. God, help me to be long-suffering with them. It's okay. Towards all people. 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Paul says, love is patient. Love is kind. What does that mean? Rick Renner says this. We'll throw this up on the screen. He said there's possible interpretive and translations for how this word could be used in 1 Corinthians 13.4. But he says it like this. Love is not short-tempered or easily angered. Love does not quickly blow its top, but is patient as it waits for others. Love is not irritable and impatient, but it's willing to wait a long time for someone to change. Love is determined to wait until the other person finally comes around. Love patiently burns for others and is willing to wait as long as is necessary. That's a tough one, isn't it? Telling the truth. Okay, I think I can, I can be really good at being honest. That's something I've learned from a kid, right? Okay. Um, honoring each other, getting better at that. Because I really truly want to see people as, as God's masterpiece. But the patience one? Oof. But you know what? God's asked us to be this way. It wasn't a suggestion. He gives us these commands. And if you don't allow patience and long-suffering to work in you, you will be frustrated with everyone all the time, including yourself, because you are also growing in Christ. You may become impatient with your own growth. 
decide to let the Holy Spirit supernaturally produce patience in you today. Worship team, would you come forward? You'll be more tolerant with others, more peaceful within yourself, a lot more loving and patient toward those whom you love and need so much. God's made it very clear, I believe, that as a believer in Jesus Christ, there are certain things that when people look at me as a Christian, they should see God. These are three of them. When people look at me, I hope I can be a person of integrity that's honest, that shows value and honor to others, that is patient with others. Will I mess up at times with that? Yes, I probably will, and so will you. Can I go back to what I said at the beginning of the sermon? Our family will what, what else, do what else? Forgive one another too, right? So when we lose our patience or we don't treat somebody well or we do tell that lie and we get caught in that with somebody, first of all, we need to ask forgiveness of God. Then we also need to forgive that other person and seek forgiveness from them. Our family will what? Love one another, right? Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind one to another, tender-hearted." forgiving one another as God for Christ's sake has forgiven us. I want to encourage you. As you leave this place, what is your family going to be like? I'm working on something with our family. We got a little thing at home that says like family rules and it's one of those cool uh, plaques uh, on the wall. Doing a different one. Sort of basing it off what I'm preaching on here. But I would love to see our family be this kind of family. But not just my blood family. My church family people see True North or see any Christian, whether you go to True North or not, I hope they see this, especially in us. A church that is able to say, I'll give thanks. I'll forgive others. I'll tell the truth. I will honor others. And I'll be patient with others. Why? Because I know that honors God. Because we're imitating God then, aren't we? And again, you won't be able to do this on your own. You're going to need the Holy Spirit to help you. And He will. Believe me, he will. Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are an awesome God. You've promised to help us in our times of need. You help us to be our strength and our peace, our hope for the future. But God, you've also given us your spirit that helps us in those times that we want to be like you and we struggle with it. And God, maybe today we just pick one of these things. All right, this week I really want to work on this. I don't know. But God, you can speak right now through your spirit to those that are in this room. And you can tell them right where they're standing right now, you need to work on this. And God, if you're telling us that, help us to obediently listen to that. Help us to hear your voice as we sing this last song. Maybe you're going to talk to us while we're singing. Maybe you're going to whisper in here. Maybe it's going to be later today. But God, reveal to us what we need to do to be more like you. God, we know we can't do it on. We need your spirit. God, we ask your spirit to be active in our life today and tomorrow and the next day and the next. So that we can imitate you as your scriptures challenge us to do. God, I love you. We love you. We want to sing to you now. In the name we pray. Amen.